water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now. Hey folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Tuesday, September 14th, and the Tigers are in the win column for the first time in 2021, and life is good. Ben and Cody here today. We've given Tully the week off, and this is my first show hosting in about a year, so um, apologies in advance. But Cody, how you doing, man? I'm fantastic. I'm, I'm, I have a renewed sense of optimism for the season, and I'm, I'm not being facetious. I'm feeling really good. I think uh, I think Clemson's going to get together. I'm about to go to Hawaii in two days, so I'm I'm stoked on all fronts. I detect a bit of sarcasm, but um, speaking of which, uh, we've got a milestone for you here. Your one year anniversary wedding anniversary was just a couple weeks ago. I'm presuming that's what the Hawaii trip is for. Um, what has one year of marriage taught you? I would say, like, if there's going to be a pandemic, don't get married before, during, or after the pandemic, you know, give it some time, let it breathe. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's, it, we, we spent all of our time indoors inside with one another. So it's going to make or break you. Like you're going to, you're going to, like, something's going to happen because you're living with that person nonstop 24 seven. And it's, it's worked out fairly well, I would say. I mean, like if we can make it through this, I'm pretty sure we're, we're in it for the long haul. Yeah. I actually got divorced right before the pandemic. Smartest decision I've ever made in my life. Smart man, smart man. I mean, as far as mental health is concerned, you know, that would have been in this would have been a rough couple of years here. But um, we digress. Um, as I mentioned, Tully taking the week off. Uh, we appreciate him and Tom from Shaking the Southland doing the Georgia recap last week. Great show. Uh, really enjoyed listening to Tom. Um, but Cody and I are back here with you today. And because we missed that episode, um, we did want to talk. Uh, we weren't going to focus so much in this show on the South Carolina State game. As we know, these FCS schools, there's so much. There's only so much you can glean from the performances um, due to the level of competition we're playing and how many guys are rolling in there. But given the consternation that the kind of the Clemson fan base had last week coming out of the Georgia game, I think we can take a little bit more and at least makes us feel a little bit better watching this offense put some points on the board, especially the 28 points in the first quarter. Uh, but we do want to reflect a little bit on the Georgia game because that's still kind of the the talking point so far of this season. I was at the game myself. Cody was out here in the Bay Area watching it. So, Cody, let me get your uh, reactions here. Now that we're about a week and a half removed, I think for all of us, we we had our initial knee jerk reaction. Of course, you know after the game, the the couple of days following it. But as we've seen in years past, when Clemson does face um, does experience a regular season loss, um, we do end up having a different perspective as, you know, a week goes by. So I wanted to check in with you and how has your perspective changed since that game? Do you have a different outlook on the, on what Clemson can do this season based on that performance? Um, and how is that different than your knee jerk reaction that you had right after the game? I would say the SC state, 
SC State game did not give me any like more hope. I wouldn't say. Um, I think more than anything, like Clemson is judged on. They're not judged on their body of work in the ACC or obviously the the out of conference games. They're, they're judged on how they do in big games, and th- and that's and rightfully so because you play in the ACC. It's easier than the SEC by far. It's either probably easier than the Big Ten. So you get judged on these big games. And initially, I would say that I, I compared this to the West Virginia loss, just in the sense that it was an embarrassment on national TV. Everyone was everyone was watching. It was an indictment on the the offense in the same way that the West Virginia game from 2012 was an indictment on the defense. That obviously the difference being one was at the end of the season and this one was at the beginning of the season. So there's some things that we can iron out and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what those things are and if, if there's reason for hope. But um, I would just say, yeah, I mean, I, I had to really kind of grapple with, is this like, is this a pivot point for Clemson in the same way that that, that game was uh, almost, a, almost a decade ago? And it still could be, even though it's not the end of the season. What do you think? Yeah, I would say a big difference in those contests. Um, I'll always say that the best, if you're going to lose one game a year, the best one to lose is the first game a year against a top five opponent. And I wouldn't go so far as to say um, Clemson got embarrassed in that game, certainly got exposed, but a one score loss to a top five team. Now the number two team in the country um, quite possibly the two best defenses we'll see in college football this year. We'll see what Alabama has to say about that. It's certainly not going to be Ohio state. Um, And I thought that had a huge effect. You know, the defense generally comes out ahead of the offense at the beginning of the season. And neither team really had an answer for that. I got to tell you when that game ended, it's not like Georgia fans were exactly jubilant and jumping up and down at that performance they saw from them, their team. They know equally as Clemson does that they've got some problems on offense themselves. And how are they going to iron that out? How are they going to play against an Alabama? And it's the same thing Clemson has to, to, to think about, you know, when we aspire to go to the playoffs, you have to ask yourself, Game in and game out after you see a performance, how is that going to stack up against a playoff caliber team? And I would say neither team left that game with reason for optimism um, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, So a long way to go um, in in the rest of the season. We're going to have to see how the other teams in college football look like. Is it a down year for the powerhouses, judging by Alabama? No. Judging by Ohio State? Yes. And um, the same token, just like when Clemson lost to Pittsburgh, Uh, several years ago in the regular season, you know, doom and gloom. I didn't even, I didn't even turn on football, NFL football. I didn't even see the games the rest of the night. And then I woke up in the morning and saw all those other teams lose. And lo and behold, what do we have this year? 2021 Ohio state comes out and gets beat pretty handily. I mean, it wasn't a a huge score different, but score difference, but Oregon, you know, handled them. Um, and so that happens and it's early in the season. So it's hard to draw a lot of conclusions. I think what we will need to see and the reason why people or when people should become concerned is if we do not see any growth and development out of this offense. And that's what I think is the key here moving forward. Um, as we get into our ACC schedule. Yeah. If, if you, there's, yeah, by the way, after the, yeah, thing, there's a drinking game now. Uh, so people, when I say, yeah, they, they have a sip. So they're going to be pretty drunk after this one. So are we. That's right. 
So let's go back to some or some earlier seasons, like some championship se- seasons, even. So that 2016, we almost lost to Troy to open the open the season. You, you, you can say almost lost. We we didn't play so hot. Uh, Clemson has, I mean, notoriously been a a slow starter. Even in 2018, I believe it was. Um, obviously, there was Kelly Bryant, but A and M gave us all we could handle. Um, was it Syracuse? Granted, Trevor Lawrence went down, but the team that was er- like early on for Clemson was not who ended up playing in that final four and, and beat Bama. And you could say that for whatever reason, Bama is a fast starter. They're, they're ready out the gates. There's probably something to that, that Clemson could learn from. But um, that aside, had Bama played the 16 and 18 version of Clemson earlier in that season, I think both teams would have waxed Clemson. And unfortunately, you know, this Georgia team isn't Bama. Uh, their offense was not so great, but it was just, I, I, you say embarrassment and ex, uh, being exploited, what, whatever. I, I guess the difference in like the West Virginia game is like, you know, you get like 70 points on the scoreboard. There's a, there's like a visceral reaction you have to that. Uh, instead, it was just complete, utter incompetence by the offense. And Clemson has you know, trumpeted its ability to, be an offensive, I wouldn't say a powerhouse because we're, we're, it's a, it's complimentary football, but that's not what you expected from Clemson. It doesn't matter who you're playing. So I don't know. I don't even know where I started with this or and where I'm going now, but um, there is a long way to go. I think was your original point. Yeah. I think the point is that you can look very different at the end of the season than you do at the beginning of the season. Think about LSU in 2019, very different looking team at the beginning of the year, the defense struggled, they had injuries. And then at the end of the year, well, we all saw what happened, right? Possibly the best offense in college football and the defense that could hold their own. Um, And so there still is that potential for Clemson to get better and have these young guys develop a lot of youth on this team. Um, You know, we talked about it in our season preview episode and in a couple of the episodes prior to that, I mentioned that on paper, this offense looks really good. Um, I would say after the Georgia game, you can ball that piece of paper up, light it on fire and throw it away uh, because, you know, we've got guys, names that are known to, to, to Clemson fans, guys that are highly recruited, but how often have they been on the field with each other? You know, you've got new offensive linemen coming in, relying heavily on some younger offensive line uh, linemen with high star ratings to go in there and plug some holes. Uh, you got a wide receiver core that has some guys that didn't really perform as well last year as we hoped them too and had injury issues um you have justin ross coming back after missing a year he doesn't look to be at full strength yet you're missing a guy like brandon specter who could be your slot receiver and just in general all these guys haven't played together the running back position you have uh discipline issues with your um with your presumed starter lynn j diction and then you've got two new guys kobe pace and will shipley back there And then the quarterback position, right? DJ, yes, played two games last year at a point in the season where the offense, A, was just more developed, had gelled more, um, and had more seniority and leadership around him, even with Trevor Lawrence not being there, right? And this offense doesn't have that this year. Who's your leader on offense right now? Who's the vocal person um, in the locker room? Is it Matt Bockhorst? Is it Walker Parks, who is a sophomore? Um, It's not DJ yet. We know it takes you know, some time for these young guys to develop. So um, the good news is that that can all improve, right? Um, As the season goes along, as as the guys get experience, but uh, I'm just saying it's it's too soon to tell right now, but I think once we get about six games into the season, we're going to have a much better idea. 
And one thing that is certain, you're trying to figure out how good is Ohio State? How good is their offense, their defense? You're trying to every side of the ball for the elite teams. You're trying to figure out what is the weak spot. And you don't really know. Clemson obviously showed that there's some weak spots on offense. One thing I know for certain is that Georgia's defense is like that. They didn't lie. Like they passed the eye test. That's that's maybe the best defense. It's early in the season, but I, I don't doubt with the talent and the and knowing that the kind of defensive pedigree uh, Kirby Smart has. I mean, that's an elite, elite defense up, you know, maybe up there. We'll see as they as they play the season out, but maybe up there with Bama's 16 squad and maybe Ohio State's 19, uh, yeah, 19 squad. So like, it, it was it was one of the better ones. You don't want to play them on week one. It, just, it was a perfect storm of a lot of different things, all the things that you just mentioned on offense that was kind of that were working against us. Um, and then, yeah, you're you're facing their version of the Power Rangers. And th- not to disrespect the Power Rangers, maybe they're not there on, from a defensive line standpoint, but as a defense, it might be just as good as, as that defense. Right, but let's say you have uh, Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne on this team this year. How many points do you think we end up putting on that Georgia defense? I've already thought about this. I'm glad you asked. Probably 21. It it, it would be ugly. There would be sacks. Etienne would not have a fun time. Uh, He would run until he'd have a lot of one-yard gains, negative one-yard runs. But Trevor Lawrence would know when to run. He would know when he's got to get the ball out quicker. The quarterback play, more so than anything with the running backs, would be the different uh, the differential factor. Because I mean, we can talk about DJ, but uh, but yeah, we would have scored some. Uh, the, the the defense played so well for Clemson that the bar they they gave them every chance. They gave the offense every chance to win. So we would have scored some points against that defense. But it, it was good. Trevor would have had a hard time too. Well, my big my two big takeaways are. A, that really goes to show, I, I think coming out of that game, that really went to show how great Trevor Lawrence was and a running back like Travis Etienne. And even thinking about to Deshaun Watson, right? You put Deshaun Watson under center um, on September 4th, and we score a lot more than three points. I guarantee that. Um, so really, it doesn't so much speak down to DJ as it does up to those guys. I mean, generational talents that it's just not, normal to see that in college football look around um you know college football right now stroud hasn't performed particularly well at ohio state thus far rattler with oklahoma has struggled of course bryce young looks amazing because he plays for alabama but you know it's just not normal to have those type of quarterbacks come in and be so ready at such a young age i mean he's you know dj's like a 19 20 year old kid now with the uh, caveat he's having millions of dollars thrown at him by um um, uh, soft drinks and junk food. Dr. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, let me, I mean, let's just, my biggest, we'll talk about DJ. My biggest gripe with not necessarily his performance. It was his lack of running. I mean, that's nothing you haven't seen on comment boards. The average fan would could obviously tell you that. Um, the, the thing that bothers me the most, it wasn't that he wasn't able to run. It was like in his mind, what I, what I think it happened, I'm having to read in between the lines a little bit. They had a game plan going in and it involved him passing. And he, he is a passer. Let's make no mistake about it. He's not, a, he's not your Deshaun Watson dual threat. He's not even Trevor Lawrence dual threat. He's very much a passer. If he goes to the NFL, that's how he's going to make his name. But it was embar- like the level of penetration, you had to throw something at them. They, they had no plan B. Like It was clear very early in that game that Georgia was getting constant pressure. And their only way to mitigate that, by the way, 
not that dissimilar from the 2016 or even the 2015, particularly though the 2016, the, the championship game that we won against Bama, they were getting a lot of penetration. What did Deshaun Watson do? He, he had to like, he had to mitigate that in some way. And it was, it was getting upfield. You don't have to go take it to the house, but get six yards. Those opportunities were available. You got to get the defense tired. I don't know why it's both on him and it's on Elliot and the offensive staff, including Streeter to make that in-game adjustment. It, it's just the dumb, again, the dumbest fans seeing this, they're like, what, and they could make this call and they'd be right. Why can't our offensive game uh, leadership make that call to, to, have him run. Maybe he's injured, but we're going to assume he's not. There's two of those dumb fans sitting right here talking to you about it. Right. Um, and so we can get into that a little bit more once we, once we focus on the offense, because guys, I do have some questions about the play calling itself. And we've seen a trend with Tony Elliott um, kind of being vanilla, not opening things up early on in the season. Although I think this is a different story, uh, but kind of getting back to my, to my takeaways, that was my first takeaway of just how great Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence were. Um and then also my second takeaway is the reason I think we're going to be pretty, uh, pretty, you know, we're going to be okay here moving forward is because our defense is also amazing and is going to give this lot, give this offense a lot of room to grow throughout the season. Again, we're not facing the murderers row of competition. Um, we're not going to be facing a lot of high power, high scoring ACC offenses. Um, I, one of my predictions for the year does well, it was an almost prediction was whether or not the defense averages less than 10 points uh, given up per game this year. And, you know, if they do that, then I predict us to run the table. Um, so it does give the offense room to grow. Again, a lot of new pieces, a lot of moving parts, need to get some guys back from injury, need to get DJ comfortable um, in his new role. And things can certainly turn around and improve as the season goes along. We've seen it. You mentioned it uh, with Deshaun Watson. Uh, previously we've seen it, uh, in his third year, I believe he got off to a, to a little bit of a slow start. Uh, we saw Trevor Lawrence do that with some interception issues. So, um, it can certainly turn around and there's plenty of time. We're only two games into the season. Um, and I think we need to give uh, the coaches and the players the benefit of the doubt, just from what we've seen the past six years. Now that doesn't mean there's not room for criticism in what we've seen, because it was a bit of a shock. To Clemson fans. It was the lowest point total we've scored since like 2002 or three, I think it was. Um, but again, if you're a Georgia fan, you only scored three points on offense yourself. So um, again, that, that really stuck with me is that after that game that, you know, Georgia fans were, were a little bit muted too. nobody was, was hooping and hollering and getting in your face and giving you crap. Everybody walked away and like me. One of the things that start the season. You, you asked me earlier, like, what's the thing? How have you cooled off since, since that loss? And I, I would say that I thought about it. The offensive line, to me, it, you know, everyone has, you know, cites Tony Elliott. I, I would say the order is offensive lines, uh, problem number one. Number two is Tony Elliott. Actually, that might be 1A and 1B. And his, you know, vanilla scheme, his play calling, not being creative, whatever. And then number three, I think, is DJ. I, I think that's kind of uh, the, the the consensus on 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 the the problem, the problemless. And you know, well, and another thing I want to throw out there with DJ, DJ too, and not to defend every you know every era he's made or everything about him, but he played in California in high school, which is a lot different than playing high school football in Georgia. Now, there's still both high school level competition, but 
the Southeast has the best football players for the most part in the country coming out and recruiting. Um, you'll see, you know, a lot of the, the best teams heavily recruited in the South. Um, so the level of competition was different. I think it probably prepared them a little bit better, but also just because I think they were both, you know, just mentally better prepared coming in as freshmen. Certainly Trevor was, uh, Deshaun had a little, you know, a few growing pains, but we saw in that 2015 season, he was just fine. Well, uh, I think it's St. Bosco where DJ's from is pretty high level, uh, California competition. Have I don't think s- that's what. Have you seen high school kids out here in California, Cody? St. John Bosco, I believe. Yeah, I know, man. Like, they don't even have linemen. It's all flag football in California. Um, so. And that's not because of the size of the kids. That's it's not because the say, yeah, it's just because of fairness parents and, out here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> no one wants to get hurt anyhow, but uh, no, no, like my original point, I was going down to the coaches the can't yell at them. Right. Moms will be yelling at the coaches more than the coaches will be yelling at the players. So it's, it's a whole thing. So the three problems, I just laid them out. Uh, offensive line, Tony Elliott, DJ after that Georgia game. The one thing I think, I think it's a lot on the offensive line, but the reason, again, I, I think for one, that's trending in a good direction. We just haven't been able to kind of reap the reward of, of good recruiting. It's because it just takes so long. It takes so long. You have to plant those seeds so early. We started recruiting better or the improvement came about two and a half years ago in offensive line recruiting. And we're seeing some of the returns, but it, it, we're not quite there. I think offensive line is is like between offensive line and probably linebacker are the two position groups where if you need to if you need overnight change you're just not going to get it college football. You need a good cornerback, you can generally find that whether through the transfer portal or recruiting within a year, two years tops. Offensive line like linebacker three four year project. So, I looked back and I thought when we were when we were in need of better offensive line cr- recruiting, and it was a problem, it lagged behind. We were recruiting at an elite level in almost every position group except except for offensive line, and that's inexcusable. It really is. That is not a position group that we should fall behind in, and we're not anymore. But at that time, we had just won our first national championship, and we're about to win a second just a couple of years later. So I think, like, I can't be mad at Dabo for not ousting Danny Pearman, who he's very close with, like. Dabo's, you know, I thought about that. Like Dabo's cultivating a family relate, like family atmosphere. He's very loyal to coaches, players, uh, players, families. Like, what would it say? You just win a championship, but you know there's a wart. You know there's a, a weak spot. What would it say if he fires Danny Pierman in that year? And Danny Pierman, by the way, was a tight end coach. Um, but the reason I mentioned Danny Pierman is because usually that the tight end coach takes a more of a lead role in offensive line recruiting, especially when Caldwell. The actual offensive line coach is not much of a recruiter. He's, he's, a, he's a pretty solid coach from all accounts. Yeah, but also it's not like Clemson was running the ball down people's throats in any of their championship runs. Um, we ran against tough, tough defenses. Um, it was the second, it was at 2016 with Wayne Gallman. I mean, eventually he started getting some yards just because that kid was uh, – just so physical and would run right into contact. And eventually those guys started wearing down. He started moving the pile. Um, But we haven't seen that out of Clemson yet. Now, would we like to get there? Yeah. I think after what we saw uh, against Georgia and then struggling to run the ball last season, um, it's kind of ridiculous that Clemson has been this good and hasn't been able to recruit at an elite level. Now, again, 
last year's recruiting class, really good. The year before that was pretty good. This year's, meaning the kids coming in next year, is going to be really good. So um, everything is trending up as far as offensive line re- recruiting is concerned. But you can't always rely on that because it's also one of the positions that is probably the least scientific when it comes to predicting how good a kid's going to be more injuries involved just because of the, the grind um, in the trenches and guys that big, just being more prone to injury. Um, and when they do get injured, you know, we've seen, you know, Clemson have guys, you know, come in decently recruited and never even play it down. Um, and now you guys, you got guys like Taquan Johnson and Dietrich Pennington who are expected to play this year that are out for the season. So you really do need to stack up those scholarship numbers and bring in like, you know, minimum of three, but probably four or five guys every year to keep that pipeline flowing. And now we're starting to see Clemson do that. And this is the first year where we're starting to get a lot of those young guys in there and on the field. We do need to see improvement this year. Last year, no improvement on the offensive line. It was just kind of hold your own, do good and pass protection. Uh, we'll get what we can out of Travis Etienne in the running game. This year, we're not going to be able to rely on that. We need to see this offensive line improves, improve. So I think that's where... Caldwell's coaching will be under the microscope at the end of the season. If we do not see that improvement that we're hoping for. Exactly. And, and, you know, we've read about a program failure of of the offensive line and there's, there's narratives. And we've talked about this on the podcast. Do you take more offensive line recruits and, and how do you manage the 85 scholarships that are being doled out? Because not all, all 85 are being accounted for by actual, you know, three, three star talent or higher. You, you, you know how I, I'm not no one can say like that's the thing I, I I I give Dabo the benefit of the doubt and he's deserved it he's deserved it almost in perpetuity from us Clemson fans clearly it's wrong on the surface clearly he's making some wrong decisions on the surface but he knows they're wrong and he knows there's a benefit that he believes is greater than the cost and I just have to trust that that calculation is correct all that said, you're right. You're exactly right about the offensive line in terms of these guys kind of give out. It's, it's impossible to figure out a junior in high school, how he's going to look like when he, you know, how's a 17 year going to look like when he's 22? How's like, he gonna be, is he going to be able to carry the weight needed? Exactly. There's so many factors in, 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 in that projection. All that said, there is, there are teams that do it and they do it regularly year over year. How do they do it? Like, what's the formula? It's not like they, it's not like, Secret sauce. What does what does Alabama do? They recruit a lot of all. <laughs> you're right. They recruit a, recruit a lot of offensive linemen. Most of them are really good, and they let the chips fall where they do. And yeah, they use the offensive line portal to supplement when they need. And so it, that yeah. that's your formula. You don't have to do it, you know, exactly like they do. But it's not like it's impossible. Well, in Clemson's credit, we we have been doing that. Just to your point, it takes longer to develop these guys. So when you bring in some four and five star linemen two years ago, the fact that they haven't panned out quite yet, you know, it doesn't mean they won't. And it's not the end of the world. It's just you're going to need to give it more time for this specific position group. But I think by the end of this year, if we don't see the improvement, that's when there's some major questions. So, again, look for that improvement game in and game out. That's going to be key uh, moving forward with this season. Um, Cody, I want to dive in kind of more deeply to the, to the offense and defense kind of more how it relates to what we saw out of the South Carolina state game. We can also touch back on the Georgia game a little bit. Uh, But, but before we do that, I wanted to get your take. Have you seen this new pause up gesture from the student section? 
No, is it on TikTok? I'm not on TikTok yet, but no, I, it was I, on ACC Network after uh, uh, Lin Jay's or somebody's uh, somebody's touchdown, maybe Lin Jay's. Um, now you'll have to tell me more about this. I, I thought Christian Wilkins coined that pause up, you know, four paws deep. Um, no, uh, I, I'm thinking of something else. Okay, this is I, a much uh, cleaner, family friendly version of that. Where, um, you know, the wolf, the NC State wolf pack, their little wolf thing, and you know, uh, Texas UT with horn, horns up, and then we do horns down. Well, I don't know. The kids thought pause up would be cool, um, maybe to get back at whoever started the the, the woohoo 20 years ago. Um, and now those people are starting to see what everybody hated about that. But hopefully, this one doesn't live on long. They uh, they put up their hand, they make a little paw like this, and they go, wow. I'm I'm picturing like Michael Jackson's Thriller, yeah, where they're, where they're doing the dance and like yeah, the just kids not, will not know what I'm talking about. Not nearly as cool looking, nor is it intimidating. So please, please, Clemson students, stop, <laughs> just stop. Um, and you could have also, the uh, you could have the mf'er in between. Yeah, yeah, in, in, the, in between the R and the S. <laughs> no, O and N. O and N. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, just not this, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess it looks good on TV. Actually, it doesn't look good on TV. Um, uh, shout out here. Uh, I was back in South Carolina again um, and got to meet um, anybody who listened to the show back in like July. I was home in South Carolina. My dad had a stroke, so I was there for three weeks kind of helping out. Got to make it back there after the, um, uh, after the Georgia game. But anyways, made it back, got to meet my dad's uh, physical therapist, Ryan, uh, with Home Health down there in the low country. And they're not paying us to put in an ad, but I just want to say how much I appreciate everything he's done uh, for my father. He's doing a lot better. Um, great guy. It was good talking to him. Good to meet him. And yeah, uh, from everybody I've met there at Home Health, if you've got a loved one in need of some assistance, uh, those are great folks for it. Most of them are Clemson fans. Uh, so that's even better. Um, so shout out to Ryan. Uh, and then finally, uh, we got our mean tweets uh, segment here, Cody. Um, you got bashed pretty hard last week, so I think I'm going to save you on this one, although I think we do have some more about you. Um, this one from Gray Kerr about three years ago was nice enough to give us a three-star review, so we appreciate that. Um, change the video game music intro. Love the game reviews and insight, but that is painful. Not going to happen. Let's go to the offense. All right, Cody. So let's dig a little bit deeper into the offense here. I wanted to start with DJ. And what are the specific things, I guess, that we're seeing out of him? I mean, the Georgia game, he certainly looked rattled. Um, He was not moving his feet well. And decision-making was poor. Um, I think we knew coming into this season – although it was a little bit overshadowed by his performances in the Boston College Notre Dame games last year that he had some accuracy issues. He certainly has the arm, a huge arm. Um, but I think it's the accuracy and touch issues. And I, I, I specifically saw that in the South Carolina State game. Some of those fades into the end zone, a couple balls thrown downfield, that he's, he's really missing that. And also sometimes when he's on the run, his footwork just seems almost like he's tripping over himself. What are you seeing there? Um, and And – is that something that he can improve on? I think he can improve on it, but I, I got to say, I, I observed the same thing. I was amazed at 
some of the throws he made in the SC State game. By the way, I, I think that was on the whole, it was, it was a pretty solid game, pretty solid performance. We'll talk about, we'll handicap South Carolina State a little bit and put he them had in eight points in the first quarter, scored on every yeah, drive. I mean, there was a few bad throws. He also made some really good throws. Agreed. And, you know, not just to start on his, his, his negative points, but there were, there was a screen pass where he just fired it into like traffic. Like it's like he had it in his mind. I know what I'm going to do. There's another path, obviously overthrew Justin Ross um, on a, on an end zone uh, on a, on a sure touchdown. And then I think there was another, what was the other? Oh yeah. There's another pass into the end zone where Justin Ross had to do a 50, 50 uh, kind of had to beat out his defender. So all, all, he needed a little bit more touch this tells me something about like DJ. We'll and we'll find out if he can work work out these kinks later. I don't know if it's like his, you know, football IQ, his quarterback IQ, which has to be you know far superior than other positions, or if it's just like him kind of getting a feel for the game. A lot of times when quarterbacks are more in their head and less on the field, a good way to remedy that is to let them go run and get hit, like take a hit because it brings you into your body and out of your mind a little bit. We've heard that with Deshaun Watson. We've heard that with Trevor Lawrence. Problem is he was in a lot in his body, I imagine, in the Georgia game because he was getting hit constantly, and that didn't seem to, to do much. So I, I I really don't know, Ben. At this point in the season, I can't, I can't say. There's tools there. If you're, if you're describing him like he's a baseball player, he's, he's got a lot of tools. Um, and the, the raw talent is clearly there. Um, he's going he's gonna to need to be coached a lot. Some of it has to be mental. I can't see how, it, I can't see how that would not be the case. Yeah, I mean, when I think of things like accuracy and footwork and touch, that's all something that, be, that can be worked on. You mentioned his ball into the end zone uh, to Justin Ross, where he just didn't he didn't put enough touch on that, didn't put enough air on the ball to allow Justin Ross to go up and get it. And then he overcompensated later in the game um, with, a, with a fade to the opposite corner of the end zone to EJ Williams, I think it was, where he just put the ball out of bounds and didn't give him a chance to get his hands on the ball. So I think all those things are correctable. I think the big thing for me is um, the, the thing that surprised me most was how rattled he was in the Georgia game. And then even a little out of sorts of time in the South Carolina state game, just based on what we saw from him in those two games last year, that's the thing that kind of perplexes me the most. Um, again, the other stuff can be worked on, um, and we'll see what Brandon Streeter is as a, as a quarterback coach, right? We're going to, he's, you know, he had Trevor Lawrence last year. That's easy. Uh, DJ seems to be a work in progress. So as, as much as it is going to be on uh, DJ improving on his game and Tony Elliott calling some better play calls or being more creative is also on, on Streeter to coach him up. Agreed. Between, uh, between Sean Watson and Trevor Lawrence and really Kelly Bryant too. Let's, he was he was a quality quarterback. He he did all the right things, just didn't have the ability. Streeter's had a he's had a pretty good situation, I would say. Um, it's hard to look bad when those are your quarterbacks. Now with DJ, I mean, granted, like there's a ton of talent, there's a ton of clay to mold. Uh, but yeah, he's gonna have to earn his paycheck here. And and and, and on top of that, we can and we obviously go to the offensive kind of play calling scheming. I, I don't know what's going on there. And I don't know to what extent Brandon Streeter is involved in that. Um, but there's, there's a lot of, a lot of things left to be desired there. Um, I won't go, I won't go all the way there just yet. I'll just say that, that DJ he's, he's to me, like the, the SC state game, let's, let's just stay there. He, he looked, he made plenty of, of really solid plays that, that proved that guy, this guy has it. 
Yeah. And you can't say, by the way, you, you can say you can dismiss the at the lower competition and say it doesn't matter. None of it matters. But we know that's not true. We know that's not true because Trevor Lawrence did things against lower competition that Kelly Bryant can't, couldn't do. Deshaun Watson did things against uh, lower competition that Cole Stout couldn't do. There's something there. So he does things that his backup can DJ does things that his backup couldn't do. Right. The only, they, the, yeah, yeah. The difference is like, I, I look at SC state's defensive line and they look like just kind of overweight linebackers from Alabama. Well, actually they're overweight linebackers from South Carolina, but um, no, I totally agree. You know, in the Georgia game, we saw DJ moving too much in the pocket and holding the ball too long. And I certainly think that was because he was getting so much pressure, pressure he hadn't seen in those two previous starts that he had. Um, again, this was a monster defense. And against South Carolina State, those things certainly improved, but he didn't have the pressure in his face. So not so much we can take out of that. I will say he did go four for four in, on uh, the in the first quarter on drives, put up 28 points. You talk about Trevor Lawrence doing what Kelly Bryant couldn't do. I don't think Kelly Bryant had a ton of 28 to nothing uh, games against really poor competition. So you saw the offense working in that regard. And then as the game got into the second quarter, you had to take a little bit with a grain of salt because then you start getting some offensive linemen switch in and out of there. You get younger receivers on the, on the field, the Collins, uh, both Collins were in there early and those are inexperienced guys. And, you know, it's about route running and chemistry with the quarterback and then also blocking. Um, one of the Collins, I can't remember which one it was, but totally missed on a block that almost had EJ Williams killed on a screen pass. Um, so, you know, I, I tend to not put as much emphasis on anything that happened after the first quarter just because he wasn't playing with all the first team guys. Um, and so there, there is, I mean, there was positive returns from this game, but against this level of competition, there's only so much you can trust that. I had this same kind of opinion. I thought about this as more of like a systemic failure. There's that word systemic. Um, it sounds so good. It makes me feel like I'm smart when I say it, but with the, with the, I, I think with the way that we structure our offense and, and the way that we rotate players in constantly. And we, I think we've said, we touched on this a lot. I think it was in 2019, which was the year uh, after we won the championship and we wanted a little bit more from the offense. We expected more. There was no reason that we, sh we shouldn't have had a better offensive product. And we wonder why that was. And, you know, part of it was that, there was a constant rotation of players, including wide receivers. And again, we go back to the kind of the cost benefit analysis. And the thing that Dabo has to, th th to think through is like, do you want to keep, you know, putting in second and third string guys all the time and, and, it, and at what cost? Well, as far as football is concerned, I think that does have a cost. I think it hurts. It, it hinders your ability to develop an offensive identity. I think it hurts with the chemistry between DJ and his first teamers when there's constantly a guy rotating in. So, I think but obviously a, there's a benefit. There's a long-term benefit, Ben. I'll let you, let you go. But the, the long-term benefit is that obviously there's a recruiting advantage and you can point to guys. There's a retention advantage. And, and obviously you point to, point to the guys that get to play and they get to play early. Yeah, and I think you're going to see a lot less of that this year just because we do have a bunch of um, younger and experienced or less proven starters on the offensive side of the ball that you are going to keep them in longer maybe when you're blowing out a Georgia Tech or some other ACC school. This was a South Carolina State game, so I can certainly understand running all those guys in there. 
Um, you know, DJ did go deeper into the game than Trevor or Deshaun would have with, with that score. I think he played one, what, one series into the third quarter. And a lot of people were kind of griping about that, thinking DJ still needed some more experience and time out there to kind of iron out the wrinkles. But I go back to my point when he's out there with second and third string guys at that point, is it really that helpful for him? Um, I don't think so. So I think it was smart to bring Tyson Pumachan in. I thought Tyson actually looked good. He got the ball out quick and accurately. Um, that's the best I've ever seen him play out on the field, especially throwing the ball. Um, so, I mean, what that kid was being able to do coming off of the Achilles tear back in the, the spring game, that's absolutely amazing that he's out there playing. But it does make me feel a little bit more comfortable should DJ uh, go down this year and we need our backup because – it didn't look like we were going to have that luxury coming into the season. Um, but yeah, it was a South Carolina state game. We're going to run, you know, 80, 90 guys in there. I would expect to see less of that as the season goes along, even if we do have big leads, um, at least as long as the offense is not clicking. And I would not expect it to be a huge turnaround by the Georgia tech game or even the NC state game. I think it's going to take time. Um, but the question is, Again, where's the improvement? Do we see improvement as the season goes along? And we're going to have a better barometer for that this year than we have in years past is because there, there are more unknowns. Uh, when Trevor was struggling um, uh, or throwing some interceptions, what is his second year? Um, Correct. We knew the potential. Like We knew the potential of the offense last year. Now, it did become exposed later in the year that the offensive line wasn't that good. Um, but again, I think we're going to be able to tell more this year, just kind of based off the, the baseline that we saw them start from in the Georgia game, not learning a lot from the South Carolina state game, other than it was good to get our first offensive touchdown, um, and good to get our first win on the board. Um, but outside of that, um, yeah, you can pick apart nitpick on some of the poor throws and some of the stuff we saw as a carryover from the Georgia game. But I think equally that we have to give DJ props for the things he did improve upon. I, I yeah agreed and if had that been our first game of the season then I, I don't think anyone would have very many gripes I think it would have been I think I think we look at it through the lens of like we need DJ to be flawless because of what happened in the Georgia game and he didn't live up to that but for the reasons you mentioned you know rotations second third string guys it makes sense I I I think I, I think the, the the reason for optimism with the offense is Marcus Tate. Walker Parks being first year players and then Matt Bockhorst moving to center and like first year starters oh, Walker Parks being a sophomore. Yeah. Walker Parks, a second year player. He has a, a really high upside. Marcus Tate might, might have the highest upside of anyone on the team uh, on the offensive line was in his first start and they faced again, the probably, probably the, the most rugged, uh, you know, most dominant defensive line they might face in their whole like career outside or, of or, outside of practice. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. So, I mean, given that, and then with Matt Bockhorst, like it's not easy to go from playing guard your whole career to go to center. Now you're snapping. And it, obviously there's whole other issues. I mean, it's like you're snapping, then you got to figure out which, uh, which NFL first rounder you're about to, you know, get mauled by. So I, I there's a lot of reason for optimism. The question is like, I guess the question is, if you play Georgia, I mean, we have to see improvement. Let's start there. You have to see improvement with Georgia Tech and then NC State. And like by week six, we'll know something. We'll know how much better we are. 
but yeah, we won't know if we're ready to play Bama or Georgia by week six. I would say at that point, if we're, you know, in, if we're averaging over a hundred yards rushing a game, we're going to be feeling a lot better than we are. We were after the two yards against Georgia. Now, granted um, the sacks came into play there taking off some of the yardage, but it still was an incredibly high amount. Um, so let's kind of shift now to the play calling and how that factors into all of this. We saw in the SEC state game that Clemson came out with tempo, which is much more what we're used to seeing from this Clemson offense. They didn't have any of that in the Georgia game. Um, you know, the coaches will tell you, well, we weren't getting first downs, so it was hard to do that. But I, I think part of it too is the offensive brain trust knew they had some issues on the offense and is still not sure what their identity is. And they played it safe in that Georgia game, hoping their the Clemson defense could also keep uh, – uh, Georgia low scoring. I do wonder how that game plan would have changed in, in Georgia had Georgia gone up by two touchdowns at any one point. Um, we did start to see things open up a little bit in the second half. DJ started playing a little bit better. Clemson had some opportunities. Um, but just in general, you know, we've, we've griped about Tony Elliott before. I don't think this is a case of keeping things, uh, you know, in the playbook for the sake of not showing your playoff competitors any of that because we got to worry about making the playoffs. First, and you don't worry about that in the first game of the year against a number five Georgia team, right? You pull out all the stops that you feel comfortable comfortable with. So my takeaway is Tony Elliott just doesn't feel comfortable with his offense yet. The offensive line, um, the wide receivers not making mistakes, um, and then DJ. So the question becomes, what can Tony Elliott to do? If you know your team's weaknesses, how do you scheme around that? He did not scheme around it in the Georgia game, and really there was an inability to make any in-game adjustments, it seemed like. Yeah, so what you just said is it's, 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 it's an indictment. It, it, it doesn't look good for Tony Elliott. Like Either way, either, either you didn't scheme properly, uh, recognizing you had weaknesses, or you recognize, or you knew you had weaknesses and you didn't get your players prepared enough. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's yeah, there the right. There were so many uh, mistakes and penalties, and even that kind of carried over to the South Carolina State game. Like, that's coaching. Right. Well, kind of the point you made, and Tully made this point um, uh, in the last episode, I think, based off a of Quacking Tiger uh, piece on shaking the Southland. And that's, it was a system failure in that first game. There was no one person and to see Clemson come out and just have no answer to that. It's not something we've seen incredibly often. Uh, we've seen some challenges on the defensive side of the ball um, and some playoff games, uh, you know, the playoff game, uh, the championship game against LSU. I wouldn't put that so much on the coaching is that Trevor just did not have a good game. Um. So it is a different look um, in what we saw. And I think that's a big part of the reason why Clemson fans feel uncomfortable, very uncomfortable after this loss, um, even given the quality of the opponent. is It's just something we're not used to seeing. The um, It's not so much that Tony Elliott wasn't able to dial up the right play calls. It's maybe just the offense wasn't capable of executing them. Agreed. And yeah, I guess that's a, that's a developmental issue. Like either way, there's a problem. You were, you know, you're, you're, the talent seems to be there. So it's, it seems to be a developmental issue or it's a scheme issue. Something about Georgia really quick. They're not known as like Kirby smart for all his, his wonders in recruiting and his defensive prowess. They're not known for being the, the smarter team. 
we, we should be able to beat them with X's and O's. And, and we obviously didn't. And it's not like you can say, well, they were just so out, out talented us or they had so much more talent. No, they didn't. We, they had a lot of talent on defense, but we, we, we can pack a punch on offense. So God, what's the issue with the offense? I, I and I'm trying to be careful because we've been pretty hard on Tony Elliott for a long time. And I think, I think Clemson took a strategic direction in 2014 to stay conservative and, and let the risk taking be on Brent Venables. Brent Venables is a risk taker. And so was Chad Morris. That was not a good mix. It wasn't going to last long. Something's got to give. There has to be a you know, complementary element to how you play. Well, it seems to me that like, there's just been way too much complacency and, 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 and it's become too stagnant on offense where you just kind of rest on your laurels and you you're okay being too conservative. And yeah, I, I think Tony Elliott's going to be a fabulous head coach. I just can't say at this point, and now I'm going like kind of high level, like looking at a Mac review. I just can't say he's going to an amazing offensive coordinator. I don't think he's ever been. And his, his you, you point to his resume. It's Deshaun Watson. It's Trevor Lawrence. And it's only a handful of games, and it was their greatness. It was their greatness, despite you know obvious weaknesses. That's well. I don't know. Am I am I wrong, Ben? Tell me something redeeming about Tony Elliott. Well, I think that's speculation right now until we see the season play out. I mean, this is his opportunity to prove all the doubters wrong and do more with less, which is not something that Clemson has had to do recently. You know, so we'll see. Um, again, six games into the season, it could be a completely different story. Um, we have not seen Tony Elliott get very creative um, uh, in the past, at least not consistently. Um, there have been moments. There have been games. Um, I think he's going to need to make that adjustment this year, um, given the cards uh, he has to play with. So let's yeah. see if it happens. And if it doesn't happen, then I think the fans, and rightfully so, um, should be um, – you know, a little perturbed about it, and yeah. you're, you're going to start to hear rumblings. I mean, you already were. I mean, I think the, the knee-jerk overreaction from the fan base was fire Tony Elliott after the Georgia game. I'm like, well, their offensive coordinator could probably um, – you could say the same thing about him. Uh, so let's not go th- that far after the first game of the season. We're certainly not going to go that far after a South Carolina State game, but at the end of this year, I think we're going to have an answer to that question. So, and to say that Tony Elliott, by the way, is not a good offensive coordinator, it's not to diminish his value to the program, by the way. He's, you know, he, he's the same as same with Jeff Scott. Jeff Scott, I don't think ever called plays. He had some in, input into the offensive play calling, but it's not to say that he's not valuable from what he does from like player development, the relationships he builds in recruiting and as players move their way through the program. Like he is a leader in the program. He's a staple of what Clemson football is like. Tony Elliott, like he is a tremendous asset to Clemson football. It's just is offensive play calling and offensive coordinating. Is that his like best attribute? Is that way? Is that like, I, I don't think so. I think ultimately he's a head coach. You know, I think he'll be a pretty darn good head coach. Um, so all that to say, so like, oh, I did want to peg, like drill into one issue, like one thing I see that's like very specific. It's just wide receiver route running. I watch everything from Iowa to Iowa state all the way up to NFL games. And I just see these, I see when there's not a lot of uh, like advantage to be had when teams are, you know, when you, when you met your match, say not when you're playing South Carolina state, 
a lot of the way that you create that advantage is through separation by wide receivers and route running or, or how you align guys to one side of the, the ball. I don't see any creativity there. I don't see guys running a very advanced route tree. Like it's Deion Kane came out and, and when he came out of the, the you know, the draft, he, he told, he told guys at Clemson, I ran a very kind of dull, simplistic route trade and get to showcase my full range of talents, which was kind of a shitty thing to say. Uh, didn't, you know, it didn't, it's not something good to say, but it's actually had a lot of truth to it. Yeah. Deion Kane was the kind of guy you could say, you could quibble about his ability as a route runner, but he also had no chance to showcase it. He had also no, no chance to develop that skill set. If he, he's the, he was the perfect guy. And there's guys on the squad right now that like could run, you know, very uh, lateral, whatever, like quick moving routes. Then you just don't see that. So when, 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 when there's a pass rush or whatever, when, when, when you're facing UJ's line, sometimes route running can make all the difference and you just don't see that. That's one big gripe I have with Clemson football, especially given the wide receiver talent. And if you say there's no Hunter Renfro on the roster right now, well, I say that's inexcusable because you get whoever you want. Well, and you know, to that point too, um, I guess to play devil's advocate, even with their simplistic routes, the wide receivers weren't exactly doing that well, uh, against Georgia and not to mention their blocking so far this year hasn't been great. Um, you know, Clemson's relied in the past wide receiver year. We talk about it all the time. Uh, the Arteva Scotts, the Amari Rogers, Mike Williams, T Higgins, um, you know, Justin Ross, obviously um, you got Justin Ross is ba- back this year. He's still working his way back. He's the one that we need to be in that kind of alpha role. Like I kind of don't want him in that slot position so we can have him on the outside and making some of those plays down the field. Been very encouraged out of what I've seen by Joe and Gata so far this year. He had a great game against Georgia, really the only person on the offense that did. Um, Frank Ladson, talented guy, still has a long ways to go. EJ Williams, we were excited about him last year. Um, He's going to play through an injury on his finger. Hopefully can make it through the whole year. Um, let's see what we can, uh, continue to develop and get out of him. But outside of that, then you rely on a guy like Aju Aju, who's just not there yet. Right. He's sure he's taken huge steps in the off season, but he came in so far behind the, uh, the curve, you know, that it's going to take him three seasons to really get to where he's even close to dominant most likely. And then you got the Collins guys and Stilato who are just going to need to put on some weight. And uh, we'll see what we can get out of them. But you, know, you just don't have that alpha receiver right now. And the rest of them just look like they're kind of running around with their heads cut off sometimes. Um, again, not blocking well, not running great routes. Um, so well, the, co- the common theme, though, it, it, you just mentioned you laid out all those receivers. They all are kind of in the nine position, like mm-hmm. the, the Mike Williams. They went after a bunch of Mike Williams. It's like, you know, where's the Sammy Watkins? Where's the the Hunter Renfro the speed and yeah. Or the route. Yeah. Line. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. And, Brandon Spector, I think is one of those guys he's hurt true. right now. And Justin Ross, I think can be a little bit of that from the slot. It, it's I, he's got some speed. I, I, I disagree with some things that were written about him, about his like lack of explosiveness. I, I see it. I think he can do it. It's not optimal for him. He's not uh, you know, he's not Hunter Renfro, but he can, he can do it. And then um, Will Taylor. I don't like, I know he's quarterback. He's like maybe the third string quarterback, but um, I don't know. I, I don't know a bit. I don't want to steal your thunder. If you had like, like a segment lined up for him. Cause he seems like Hunter Renfro, like 2.0, 
Like get that guy at wide receiver, damn it. Like he's going to be able to run some routes and catch the ball and make some plays. Well, and that's, that's the plan with him. They just brought him in um, starting off as quarterback because of the attrition in the quarterback room and the lack of depth we had there. I think the ultimate game plan is to get him out at wide receiver. You've seen him um, in some wildcat plays. So they're obviously committed to getting the ball in his hands. Um, He's done a really good job returning punts. He's been explosive, had some big plays. Um, I've been excited out of what I've seen out of him. But you remember, he just came in during the summer, and he's having to learn – he's going to have to learn a new position as a wide receiver. He was a quarterback in high school. Um, But certainly a lot of high upside there, and I'm looking forward to seeing him get more involved um, in the passing game and just as a playmaker as well. Um, And then we're talking about, like, running back. Uh, tosses to the running backs out in the backfield. We haven't seen a lot of that this year so far. I'll be at only two games, but again, I go back to wide receivers and tight ends being able to block on the edge, and they're just not doing that. Like the tight ends are so disappointing to me. Like between uh, Braden Galloway and Davis Allen, just have not seen a ton of improvement uh, from them at all. Um, and especially Galloway in with his commitment or his non commitment to block. It's just not good. And it's not there. If you don't have those guys blocking for you on the outside, you know, guys that, you know, like Cornell Powell and Amari Rogers um, and even some of the bigger name wide receivers at Clemson, they took that part of the game seriously. And you saw Clemson's offense flourish because of that. We don't have that right now. Things you're going to need to see improve uh, throughout the season. And I guarantee you by the time the end of the season comes, the guys that are be playing the most snaps are going to be the guys who are committed to blocking. Ben, we every year, it seems like since Dwayne Allen, every year, including when during Jordan Leggett's tenure, every year we say this guy's going to have a big year. The tight end position at Clemson is going to look like it looked in 2011, where Dwayne, Dwayne Allen uh, won the, I can't remember, is it the Mackey Award for top tight end? We had the best tight end in the country. I can't remember the award. We had the best tight end in the country in 2011. And ever since then, we're like the Mackey. I was right. All right. We're like, we're going to have, it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. It did happen in 2016. Jordan Leggett had one good year. He had two, like they called him lazy Leggett. Um, But he, his receiving ability was just too much, like too much ability. We didn't have a whole lot of wide out options. It was Mike Williams or bust. So like we did have a good wide receiver, wide receiver option at the tight end position in 2016. We haven't had that since. And I'm, I'm like at the point now where I'm like, oh, Braden Galloway, he's going to be the next Jordan Leggett. Davis Allen, he, he could be, you know, he could be give you that dual threat between blocking and receiving. And it's just not happening. So my thought is Jalen Lay. Jalen Lay. Yeah. God, he was a white, like this oversized wide receiver with like, yeah, it's not happening. All I can say is if you can't get a guy that's going to catch, just get a guy that, and you're not even going to run plays to the guy that, uh, that as a receiving threat, just get a guy that can block. Cause there, you can find those guys. They're three-star guys that they play either something between tight end defensive end or wide receiver for their high school team. You can find those guys. Iowa is able to find those guys every year. Um, like it's not like, let's just go that route if, if we have to. Well, it's just such a shame. I mean, you've got both Allen and lay are both six, six guys. Um, you know, Galloway at 6'4", Sage Ennis, we saw him get some playing time in this one at 6'4", and then Jake Brenningstool is going to come in at 6'6", as well. 
um, once he gets through his injury. So I don't know. I feel the same way as you. It's not that the, we haven't been trying to fill the cupboard with, with these, you know, highly recruited tight ends because we have, and they've talked a lot about them when they came in, but we've seen little to no production out of them. And again, is that Danny Pierman coaching them up? Is that the offensive scheme? Is it just, we're just finding a bunch of guys who are too lazy to block. I don't know. Um, but it's certainly a, a, a disappointment because we've seen what having a, a great tight end, a great pass catching tight end, how transformative that can be for an offense, not just Clemson's offense, other teams in the past that we've seen play against Clemson. Um, so before we move off the offense here, I kind of want to finish with the running backs, Cody. Um, not many touches in the Georgia game for, you know, I guess the obvious reason is they were getting so much penetration. But again, I go back to that 2016 national championship game where we committed to the run. We kept running Gallman until he was finally uh, able to start moving the pile. Nine touches, I believe it was in the Georgia game. That's, I, mean, I don't care how bad you're running. You got to get more than nine. Um, we saw them commit to it against the South Carolina state game, but of course South Carolina state. So let's, Kind of, we don't need to dwell on the play calling part of it, but let's talk about what we see out of the running backs. Um, obviously, it's disappointing to see the issues with Lynn J. Dixon. Um, had the best run of the game against Georgia, had some really good runs to start the game against South Carolina State. Um, instead, you have now Kobe Pace and Will Shipley getting most of the touches. Shipley has looked phenomenal. I love what we're seeing out of him. I think he's going to be a great running back at Clemson if he has an offensive line to open some holes for him. Um, and Kobe Pace has been serviceable, uh, but still there's a big part of me after seeing what Lin Jay has been able to do for, what, three years. that was really hoping he was going to kind of step up and, and take the reins and be a leader and make his presence felt, and it hasn't panned out so far. He got played the first series against South Carolina State and then didn't come back in until the uh, Tyson Pumachan's first series in the second half. I think it's the Shipley show, or it should be, from here on out. I, I don't – from what I see with just my eyeballs, there's one running back that's a little bit better than the rest. He's a freshman. There's, I mean, if a freshman is as good or a little bit better than your, your senior, then I think you roll with the freshman. Well, we've seen Dabo do it with Trevor Lawrence over Kelly Bryant. So does that also translate to the running back position, or are they more conservative and loyal to seniority there? I mean, I guess if we well, were – if we're, if we were accusing them of that, you'd be seeing Darian Rencher play a lot more. There, there's more attrition there. So there's more, you, you have to do it by committee. And uh, yeah. I, I don't, that's I, common. that's commonplace. My preference. And like, you see Shea Maluzzi, uh, Chaz Maluzzi from Wisconsin, getting like 30, like, uh, carries a game. I mean, that's, you know, good for him. He's getting, you know, pat some stats, but man, that's, that takes a toll. And, you know, how sustainable that is, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, and I also think there's some benefit for Etienne, even though he got hurt for the year, to, that he didn't have a ton of carries. Like, uh, Shea's going to have one. I'm going to keep calling him Shea, by the way. He's going to have more carries this, this year than Etienne had the la his last two years of playing for Clemson. I'd like to see I'd like to see the hierarchy develop at Clemson for their running back room. I'd like to see, obviously, Will Shipley. Like, it's just a matter of time for this guy. It's not a thing of, like, can he beat out Len J. Dixon? It's like, just it's when. When's it going to happen? But then it's like, who's number two? And I'd like to see more, like, give Shipley some time. Give him the first three series. Let him get in a groove. And then, and then you mix in pace. Maybe he's your number two guy. Maybe you mix in uh, Lin J. But I, I think you got to you got to roll with your number one guy. 
and I know what that means. You risk, it means you risk tran- the transfer portal, like you're transferring guys unhappy about their, their snaps. Well, I don't know. I think you just got to, I don't know. I think you just roll with it, roll with your best. Well, Lynn Jay's only got one more year left anyways. So should he transfer after this? Right. We've got other running backs coming in and it's unfortunate to, to hear that, um, you know, there's some maybe attitude or off the field uh, issues with him, but, you know, hopefully he can um, kind of mature as Dabo says, although I find it hard to see that that might happen within one season, if it hasn't happened three years into his career. Um, but he had the opportunity to leave and transfer last year, knowing a guy like Shipley was coming in and he didn't, um, which was a positive sign for me, but unfortunately that hasn't panned out so far this year. Um, let's just hope it improves. Um, so yeah, I think that about wraps it up for the offense. Um, we're not going to know a lot about this offense until we see a few more games. I think this is, uh, an offense whose identity and personality is going to have to develop as the season goes along. Um, again, which is very uncomfortable for Clemson fans because uh, the years past, minus kind of the, the Kelly Bryant year, we knew what this offense was going to be made of. We knew what the scheme was going to be. We knew what the identity was going to be. We don't quite have that this year, and there's a bunch of things still kind of up in the air, going wrong, you know, wide receivers running the wrong direction, offensive linemen doing some olays and um, nobody blocking. So, <laughs> um, And then some inaccurate passing from uh, your quarterback. But um, again, all things that you can improve upon. It's disappointing that we did come out this rusty and, you know, looking uh, lost the first game of the year, but still early in the season, a lot of time to improve. And at the end of the year, hopefully we'll be having a different conversation. Okay, let's flip it over to the defense. Okay, Cody, so on the defensive side of the ball, I would say they have lived up to our expectations thus far this year. A lot of chatter about that Georgia defense coming out um, of the opening game of the season, but I would put Clemson's defense right up there with them. while Georgia does have some question marks at quarterback and had some uh, some pass catchers injured, they still have a, a talented offensive line. The defense pushed them around, even with Tyler Davis out, even, even with Noah Turner out. A lot of positives on this defense out of what we've seen the first two games of the year. Um, South Carolina State found it a struggle to move the ball again. Lesser competition, but still, you saw what you wanted to see out of this defense, and I think Clemson fans – as uncomfortable as it is to see the offense playing this poor, you got to feel a lot better when the defense is playing this well. Listen, this is a great defense, like for sure. It, and it's, you're right. The, 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 the foul taste in your mouth from seeing the offense against Georgia makes it difficult to like want to praise any part of the Clemson team right now. But man, this defense is good. And not only that, it, there's so many bright spots like from young players. And, and we, we can talk about all of them, but clearly like miles murphy and and uh and brian Bercy have taken a step forward you know how great they will be i don't know i don't know if they're quite there but they're man they're good we didn't have tyler davis for georgia that's going to be a really good defensive line xavier thomas he looks he looks really fast the best i've seen so far and it's like we can't even like god that's what that's what stinks when you're you're one side of the ball is so bad you can't even 
God, you can't pray. Well, and we'll have some time. We'll have some time. You can't praise all of the excellent performance, this the super superlative performance of the defense, and well, including and like this. the guys that are have clearly improved over last year. Yeah, well, think about it too, Cody. It doesn't matter year in and year out when we do these uh, game recaps. We always start with the offense. Um, doesn't matter if the offense played a good game. Doesn't matter if they played a bad game. We always start with the offense because scoring points is what's sexy um, in all of our minds. It's what makes the team exciting to watch, but that's not necessarily the case. And the defense always does kind of go on the back burner. Now last year struggled on defense, obviously had defensive line issues. This year looks to be a completely different story. It looks to being back to a, uh, completely dominant Brent Vittable's defense. It seems like he has all, all the tools in his tool bag available um, and at his disposal. And he used those really well against Georgia. Obviously, South Carolina State is what it is. But I would expect to see more of the same from this defense um, as the season goes along. We've got more depth. You've seen it with uh, how well Rook played. Um, in, in, in backing up Tyler Davis, you know, you've heard a lot of people, write, And you could see it with your own eyes. There wasn't a ton of drop off or if any with Tyler Davis out of the game. So you gotta be really excited about what you see across the, the defensive line specifically. And as we mentioned time and time again, that just has a ripple effect throughout the second and third levels of the defense and making them better. Rook is one of my high, like bright spots from the defense, because you wonder if Tyler Davis goes to the NFL and he very well may. Who's like the next guy in line and, 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 and Rook. Yeah. Seeing him, that's such a, such a like re- relief. Uh, we missed out on Travis Shaw who went to North Carolina who plans to go to North Carolina. Yeah. Rook has a chance to be like, and, and it's not all that surprising, but you just never know when you take such a develop, developmental prospect. He's in his third year now and didn't play a lot of football. I think until he was like 15, maybe. So he, yeah, he seems like he's hit his stride. So like the athleticism was always there and now he's, he's putting it together. So it's, it's great. Yeah. It's great seeing him. There's other bright spots. Um, I, I would point to, man, I there's so many to choose from well, Trey uh, Williams at the tackle position. If you want to stick there. Yeah. Let's stick there. I, it, he moves, man. I, I was worried about him. I see pictures of him. I'm like, is that guy, can he move? He can, he is fast. He's, you're right. We have some we have some depth there at defensive tackle. Like, and I was worried about that. I I, I worry about that like not not so much anymore. And haven't looking, seen these guys play. Yeah, then looking down the road, you also have guys like Peyton Page, the true freshman, and Demonte Capehart, um, a redshirt freshman. Yeah, Demonte I think has been hurt, but has a lot of promise. Like, would have actually got some playing time last year. Would be you know, would have been ahead of Rook uh, in the pecking order had he been healthy. You know, and yeah, th- there's definitely some depth there. Um, Skowski seems like he's moving a little bit faster in the second level. Yep. Trent Simpson, look, he's, he's going to be a work in progress probably till next year, but his athleticism, like, it's just, it's special. And then of course, you know, I, I won't keep, I'll, I'll quit jumping around, but some things at safety and in, in, in the secondary, including Booth and some guy at safety that I'm not going to try to pronounce his name because I will butcher it. Andrew Makuba. That's not Makuba. Okay. Got it. Makuba. Yeah. yeah I mean, or horror-ho is hard, but... <laughs> a ro ro It's a ro 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 say it three times. Um, a lot of bright spots on the defense, though. Like, Well, let's, it, let's talk about defensive end, too. You mentioned Xavier Thomas. I mean, the burst out of him has been amazing from what we've seen this year. It looks like the light has really come on from that guy. He's healthy. He's in a good mindset. Um, and to have him 
and then Miles Murphy on the other end. And then you got guys to back them up and Justin Foster, um, experienced guys. And KJ Henry and Justin Maskell still need some time. Like KJ Henry is going to be here to his last year. Um, which Dude, I guess they are in their fourth year, by the way. I just want yeah, to, yeah. to let you know. Some they, guys, need some, they need some time. They're in the fourth year. Some guys take that long, okay? Um, Fair enough, but I mean. Honestly, sometimes, not, sometimes you just are what you are. There's worse guys to have backing them up. Um, so I think, yeah, across the defensive line, we're feeling really great. We are less deep. I mean, you would like to see Miles Murphy and Xavier Thomas and, and Justin Foster take the lion's shares of the snaps um, here moving forward throughout the season and just hope to get some serviceable and, um, you know, a, a moderate amount of improvement from KJ Henry and Justin Maskell. Um, and then you got Greg Williams, uh, the redshirt sophomore defensive end. I think he's hurt right now, isn't he? I'm, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I think he's hurt, and they, I think he transitioned over to DE. So, um, still, I think the coaches are high on him, but uh, you know, less deep there, but still a lot of talent. So, I think overall, we're feeling really great about where this defensive line is right now and what that pretends for the rest of the season. Um, it, it, you know in as much as the overall performance of the defense goes as we hammer this home, the better that defensive line is, the better the rest of the defense looks. Right. And you'll see this play out over the season. Like every Clemson fan and every even writer is thinking it. So it's just so hard to give, it's hard to give your defense a lot of praise after that Georgia game. Not that they, they didn't deserve it. Cause of course they did. You know, one, different bounce of the ball and we win 10 to three instead of them, but because we did lose and because we were so, I think I'm going to use the word again, embarrassed on offense. You just, you can't praise the defense in the way they deserved it. This is an excellent, excellent defense. Well, and it's not only the defensive line making the, 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 the second and third levels of the defense look good. It's that those guys are actually good. You know, also really good and improved. You mentioned Skowski. He looks a step quicker this year. Uh, Balen Specter um, is, you know, picked up right where he left off from last year. Those two guys being the the anchor points of your defense, how experienced they are, how physical they are, and just how smart uh, of players they are. Um, combine that with the improvement across the board on the defense, and it's going to be hard for teams, any team, to score on this defense uh, this year. And you'll see Georgia, like there was a lot of, I mean, and, and rightfully so like Georgia's in, uh, offense was incompetent. That was a lot of the narrative or they, the quarterback is not very good. It's like, yeah, that's part of it. Also, they were playing a juggernaut of a defense. So like, they're going to go against South Carolina. Well, for one, they, they beat UAB 56 to seven. UAB is not bad. I mean, for a, you know, an, are they, I don't know if they're division one or if they're, uh, or they're FBS or FCS. But, they're division one. So or FF. They're not bad. They they were killed 56 yes. to 7. They're gonna play South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and then Arkansas, and then Auburn, looking at the schedule. Like they're gonna put up points. Like it's not gonna be it's not gonna come easy for the defenses that play Georgia. Like yeah, Clemson's hey, defense was the reason that they looked like crap. Sure, JT Daniels was not sharp. He 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 missed throws. But a lot of that had to do with what Clemson was bringing. And I don't know how you could see one thing on one side of the ball that was clear that Georgia's defense was dominating. You don't see it on the other side with Clemson because 
it was happening on both sides of the ball or, yeah, or well, it was happening for both defenses. Yeah. And we knew going into that game that it was going to be a low scoring affair. Did we think it was going to be 10 to three with only six total offensive points scored? No, nobody thought that. Uh, but that just speaks to the level of both of these defenses. So I totally agree. Again, defense is ahead usually of offense at the beginning of the year. And to see the Clemson defense, well, really both defenses in that game, so far ahead of the offenses, uh, both teams should be really excited about what they're going to get out of their uh, their defensive units this year. Um, so, Cody, uh, we talked to hit a little bit on the, you know, your middle and your outside linebackers. Uh or sorry, middle and inside linebackers. I want to talk about the nickel Sam position now. Um, you had Trent Simpson, who had a really great year last year. Um, and then you had talk of uh, the freshman, uh, Barrett Carter, coming in, looking really good in fall camp and you know projecting that he's going to get a lot of playing time this year. But it's really been Jeremiah Trotter that has kind of um, stepped in as a true freshman and really flashed. Which is – this is strange. We have – True safety starting. We have linebackers that look the part in year one. And you can you can throw Barrett Carter in there. Yeah. So far, what I see, it's like they're between you get you hit you know you hit on three guys and uh, on the back the back seven between linebacker and 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 DB. You know that within the first game or two games, that, that's that's a pretty strong signal that you you hit a home run in the last recruiting class. So, and it's really tough with those positions in particular, uh, obviously linebacker in particular. So I think we have three studs. Uh, and what I see from Trotter is like, wow, this, wow, man, we, we got two more good years with you guy. Like, and then same with Makuba. And then a lot of good experience across the, the, the linebacking core, a lot of very young at that nickel Sam position, but then uh, your middle and inside linebackers, you know, Jake Venables, uh, Kane Patterson, Keith McGuire, um, Levanta Bentley, all guys with experience, all guys that can be serviceable, and they're going to continue to get better as well. Same thing with Sergio Allen. So, um, get a really solid long linebacking core, even when Skowski and Specter finally leave this year. I think we're going to be in good hands moving forward. One thing I don't, the gripes on the nepotism with is look, like if you're upset about the Sweeney brothers playing more, it's like, Look, they're not playing in real snaps. Dabo can do what he wants. Like he and, he, and by the way, they're not on scholarship. Uh, they might be, but it's not. They're not taking scholarships from others. I understand a little bit of your your concerns, but if you're concerned about the Venables kids, I, I don't get those. Like I don't. I, that, that, that was, I saw a lot of that. The nepotism. Like, like the the whole loss was an indictment over on the whole system of Clemson football, which is predicated on the family atmosphere. And and but without and that having family some, atmosphere, we're not here in the first place to talk about this. I'm sorry, say that again. Without that family at atmosphere, we're probably not here to talk about this in the first place. Right. There's yeah, there's things that attract people to Clemson because at one point Clemson wasn't Clemson. So how did you get how how did the, the Sammy Watkins and other great big names start coming? It was because there was something bigger than football. So, but that aside, I, I guess what I'm trying to get to is like the Venables kids. They're both talented football players. They deserve their their roster spot and their scholarship. And like, I, I don't, I, I, I that, that bothers me that anyone would say otherwise. I don't, I don't get that. And I've seen that from some, you know, generally informed people have said, have had gripes with the Venables kids playing. They're both talented. They're yeah. not getting to start. They're like second or third string. What's don't, the issue there? Don't mistake them for the for the 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 Sweeney situation. 
not not comparable false equivalencies as i like to say right they are they are and and in the way that they get snaps in terms of like crucial crucial situations in the game is different so venables tyler venables is in, in his second year like he looked pretty good last year as a true freshman at safety keep that in mind now this year like and granted he's not he doesn't have the measurables he's not going to be an nfl player but at safety we have Nolan Turner back there and he's a quality safety. Like there's, there's different things you need in college from a safety. Sometimes you just need reliability with Makuba. It looks like the guy playing opposite him. All he needs for a guy to, you know, play a sound, sound role there. And that seems like it'll be sufficient. So anyhow, long story uh, short, I, I don't get the gripes on the Venables kids. That's strange. Well, if, if that's what people are nitpicking about, then uh, they haven't really been paying attention to this football team so far this year, at least. Um, it's a good transition to, to the secondary, Cody. You mentioned Nolan Turner um, back for his 17th year. Um, uh, did not play in the first – hasn't played the first two games, expecting back against Georgia Tech this week. Uh, but Andrew McCuba stepping in there, man. Um, Dabba wasn't even sure he was going to bring in uh, another guy in the secondary last year. We get McCuba kind of at the last minute. Never even visited Clemson um, right – in Texas's backyard and we're able to pull him and lo and behold, he comes in over the summer and he's got the starting job. I mean, granted uh, because of injury issues uh, to, to Nolan Turner, but they were saying that he was even going to start uh, whether or not Turner was available or not. Now, a lot of people took that as in he was going to start for um, Nolan Turner. I tend to think Turner would have been on the field and Makuba would have, and he would have played in Landon Zander's position, and Makuba um, would have been on the field in Turner's position. I think, yeah, I think that's right. At free safety. Um, so we do have, you're going to see a lot more Makuba with Landon Zander's being out for the season, which is certainly unfortunate. I know um, he's kind of underwhelmed people last year and um, only played like four snaps or something like that in the game this year. He played hurt with that shoulder last year, which affected him, re-injured that same shoulder. So he's going to be out for the season. But I think we got to be feeling really good about uh, Makuba back there. Not to mention we've got, you know, we've we've got a little bit of depth there too. Guys that, you know, Joseph Charleston, um, RJ Mickens had a big pick in the um, in the South Carolina State game. And Jalen Phillips, several other guys that have been on this team for several years that I think at this point you can trust to get the job done when, when needed, especially when the front seven are doing such a great job getting and pressure was, on the opposing quarterback. And, and that was the strange thing about the Makuba starting the fact that he had claimed that role was because there are a lot of guys at safety that had been around for a year or two and, and, and that are pretty talented. And even though it wasn't a, a bright spot on the, on the roster last year, like they, we have some guys that were returning that were pretty, pretty solid. The fact that he came in, as a safety, and Brent Venables does not like to start linebackers or say really doesn't like to start any guys that are in their first year. Like, there, there's there's so much. He's so particular in what he needs, like the that he would start a true freshman and and beat out a bunch of guys that are in their second and third year. That's quite the praise. And then you hear other things about this kid, about how he's so like he just talks like he just seems like he's full of gratitude. He's, he's thank he, he's constantly thanking the coach. Thank you. He takes to coaching like. Talks about his uh, his mother a lot um, and how hard she worked to give her four, four children, you know, the best opportunity that, um, 
you know, that, that they could have to succeed in life. And that fits in that mentality, that personality fits in with the personality of the types of players that, that Clemson brings in and what makes it feel like a family. So you talk about the downsides of it. You also have to talk about the good sides of it. Um, you know, does, does Georgia put more points on the board without Andrew McCoupa playing so well back there? You know, hard to say in hindsight, but certainly glad we had him. Right. He, he kind of strikes me as the, the ETN of the defense in terms of like ETN came out of Louisiana. There was like no rhyme or reason that he's not the typical kid that would go to Clemson, not because mainly just because of geography, usually LSU or Alabama gets that kid from Louisiana if they want him. And then he just, he came to Clemson and he, something about the atmosphere, the environment, the culture resonated with him. And Makuba, it's even stranger because like you said, he didn't, he didn't visit Clemson because of COVID. And then he, he just, he shows up and you're like, yeah, you were good on film. You had a pretty good rating, just like Etienne, but you're, you're even better in person. And uh, you look like you might even be an all timer. I, I hope that I, honestly, I hope that's where we're headed with this guy, but man, it, it's a great story. It warms my heart. I'm, I'm, I'm again, the way I feel about the offense is like, I can put that aside. I'm really happy about some of these young guys on defense and seeing the progression there. Yeah. It's almost like Makuba was um, like, trust me guys, I'm better than Texas. I deserve, <laughs> to, I, I deserve to play on Clemson. Not only that, I deserve to start for them <laughs> day yeah. one against a top five opponent. Um, yeah, just great story and another awesome, you know, grab in the secondary kind of at the last minute Clemson set history of that with guys like, uh, you know, Kavon Wallace and, um, uh, I'm blanking on the other one, Isaiah uh, Simmons, uh, well, Isaiah Simmons, of course. And then who was the other one, uh, in that recruiting class? I can't remember kind of got him at the last minute. Um, feel like an idiot for that neither of us can remember um it'll come to me um so you know sticking with the secondary kind of to wrap it up to the cornerback position we seem to be in really good shape this year um Andrew Booth looks like that dominant lockdown corner um had a great pass up early uh pass break up early in the SEC state game JT Daniels didn't even look his way in the Georgia game and you know, that just shuts down a whole side of the field. And when you're able to do that, and when you're able to limit the options of the opposing offense like that, combined with the wealth of other talent we have up front, again, I go back to the point, does this defense hold uh, teams to under 10 points on average this year? And I think it could very well happen. It could. And, and the schedule sets up nicely for that. And, it's not like I'm not at a point where I want to compare this defense. I, I need to see more, uh, but it, how does it, like we said, like we said in the preseason uh, in the season preview, we said, if it looks something close to the 2018 defense, this could be a championship team. And I think it does. I think, it, I think it's, it's comparable. It needs to mature more. We need to see more. It needs, it needs to be tested some more, but I mean, it's been just lights out and it's, it's, I would say it's more complete than any defense we've had. And we can say that knowing that part of the power Rangers greatness was predicated on just how good they were up front. Not that they didn't have some great guys in the back, but right now, like it's just in all levels, like a ton of talent and Oh yeah. Great coaching. There's a great defensive coordinator. That's sometimes that's uh, that makes a big difference. I hear Trayvon Mullen. 
how do I forget him? Starts for the Raiders. But I don't think he was a, he wasn't so much like a, he was a late pickup, but it wasn't like a, he wasn't a safety that we kind of stole from someone else. That was a guy that we were going the distance with. Right. But secondary. Still, still a late pickup in that recruiting cycle. Um, one in which, I mean, he was the highest rated out of the four DBs. Uh, Isaiah Simmons, a three star, Nolan Turner, Brian Dawkins Jr., both two stars. Now, Turner and Simmons have both exceeded those expectations. Trayvon Mullen, obviously, like a third round draft pick. So, um, a history of that is on Trayvon Mullen was, was it? He was, he was in the second round. Yeah, whatever, man. It uh, it came close. It was a few years ago. Second round. Second round. This is the second time I've disrespected Trayvon Mullen. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to. He's been pretty good for Oakland, man. If you're watching Oakland, you don't you're not gonna see much Clee, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, a lot of Hunter Renfro, a lot of a lot of a lot of Mullen, and and John Simpson starting now for them. I believe he's starting. He did. Um, he got started in that game. So, um, yeah, feeling really great about the cornerback position. Malcolm Green, guy we saw flash as a freshman last year. Mario Goodrich has played a lot better. Um, uh, been a lot quicker, hitting harder in both games we've seen him play this year. Uh, Fred Davis, uh, he played in this one. Did he play in the Georgia game? Not, not, I didn't, I did not do a rewatch, but I do not believe he did. It's still the whole situation with his punishment is, uh, uh, curious to me. I thought he would have gotten four games, but here he is, he's playing. So unless he plays backup quarterback, his, his presence or absence from that game is inconsequential. Good point. Um, so yeah, it's about all for the defense, uh, you know, special teams quickly, we kicked the ball far off and through uprights. And sometimes we miss 50 yarders. Anyways, we feel very comfortable there. I think the biggest takeaway for special teams thus far this year is certainly Will Taylor, Will Taylor returning punts. Yeah. The, the wide guy can move. Like you don't, you don't expect like, come on, like we're just being real here. I, 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 the white guy's got some moves. You don't expect him to like take off like that and move like oh, a. He, he took a hit in that SC State game too, and just like rolled a guy off his back and just kept going. Um, really impressed by that kid. You you always had to wonder like how does he turn down like first round money or whatever for the uh, major league baseball draft? But I guess when you know you can come and play significant playing time, meaningful playing time, um, at a top college football school in Clemson, um also play baseball there and then three years go and get your contract again. I guess you, you feel fine about that, right? Get your college experience, be a, be a young man, um, have some fun and then go play professionally. Great choice. Will. If you can live in the moment and not, not constantly think ahead or put pressure on yourself. Cause imagine the pressure most kids would put on themselves after foregoing the opportunity in MLB. But man, if he's living it like, God, yeah, it sounds like it could be an amazing three years and, yeah, the money the money will be there. I'm sure. So was he a first round draft pick or what, like for MLB or was was it going to be like second third? He was. I think he was a first round draft pick. It was uh, not expected that he ended up coming to Clemson. Um, Clearly, the guy is an athlete. Like he's he is he moves he moves quick. He's explosive. Actually, Cody, I was mistaken. He was drafted in the 19th round, so I guess that makes the decision a lot easier. Well, well sometimes it was Bubba, Bubba Chandler that I was thinking of. Well, no, no, I, th- I think Taylor had a chance to be a first round pick. Sometimes when with MLB, you know, it's they it's just a matter. Him. 
Yeah, if you won't yeah. sign, then they won't. They they're not going to draft you. So maybe he was that type of talent. All right. Well, nonetheless, very happy to have him on the Clemson football team, and also looking forward to watching him play with Monty Lee coming up in the spring. Um, all right, so that wraps it up uh, for our recap of. I guess it was a quasi recap of uh, the Georgia and South Carolina State games. Uh, let's move on now, Cody. We'll uh, take a quick look at. Um, how our outlook may have changed for the rest of the season. Also take a look around college football. Okay, Cody, you and I chatted about this a little bit before, um, and we've alluded to it a couple times during this episode, but kind of first take, well, at least a week and a half removed, do you think the general reaction of the fans was an overreaction after that Georgia loss? I, I mean, I, I think so. It's somewhere, well, so the things that were being said, I think the things that they hit on between the three things that we talked about earlier, offensive line, the quarterback, and an uh, and, and offensive play calling slash OC, I think they're hitting at they're they're hitting at something that's like a it is an un, there are underlying issues. There's problems, not so much on the quarterback front. I think that's just that'll play out in time. But we addressed them earlier. But uh, people aren't wrong. It's just that. Hey, the things that the corrective action that could have been taken to fix these things isn't after the Georgia game. It was three or four years ago, but uh, was it an overreaction. Yeah. It's probably a little bit, but aren't they're not fan, that far off base either. Aren't fan reactions all after a loss generally an overreaction. Yeah, but this was different though. This was unique in that we're not Tony Elliott. We don't know what his claim to fame is quite yet. You, again, he's been vanilla. We always thought maybe he's concealing things till the end of the season. And then he doesn't show us things at the end of the season. And then we're the, we're the first game of the season and we kind of know what the, we know the road ahead. So it's like throw out the kitchen sink and there was no, there was no kitchen or sink to be thrown. I don't know. What's your thoughts, Ben? I, I feel like the overreaction was like 70%. Okay. Listen, all I got to say is we're two games into the year. Uh, Clemson is sitting at number six in the country as the highest ranked one loss team. We've already seen Ohio state go down to an Oregon team. Now, does that make our path to the playoff easier? Not necessarily because now Oregon is looking to take that spot, but you know, is Oregon going to Oregon and lose a game or two? They shouldn't have this year more than likely. Right. But then, but, but, it, but gives, it, it gives me good reason to watch the PAC 12. True. But Ben, just because there's promise ahead, doesn't mean there wasn't, there isn't reason to, to kind of take a moment of introspection introspection because of what happened in that Georgia game, right? Like those things are separate. Like you could still be right. optimistic and understand that we're a certain ranking, obviously, and that we still have like a pretty bright future in terms of this season alone. But like, you can't also like, we, we could talk honestly about like some problems with the program, some systemic problems. Absolutely. But I'm just saying that, um, that conversation is going to come less from an educated uh, point of view than it is from a emotional knee jerk reaction point of view after the first game of the season. Um, if we look like if we if we played Georgia in the playoffs, do you expect the offense would still look like that? I don't. I also wouldn't expect their offense to look as bad as it did. Again, we talked about other teams having slow starts to season and then you know end up playing really well at the end of the season. Perhaps this is just one of those years for the Clemson Tigers. We don't have Trevor Lawrence and, or Deshaun Watson at quarterback. We have 
DJ, who is going to take a little bit of time to, to get used to the college football, the pace of the game, the speed of the game. Uh, he needs to learn how to better execute the offense, how to be more of a leader. Like again, 19, 20 year old kid. He's got a lot of improvement to do. And he's got a lot of games left to do it within. So yes, I think the initial reaction was, Oh my God, this offense sucks. No way Clemson's making the playoff this year, but top five team in the country probably the number one defense in the country at the end of the year. I'm not panicking yet, especially when everything this team has to play for is still on the table and in front of them. College football will be college football. Other teams will do their part in losing and helping us out. There's not going to be four undefeated teams in the playoff this year. I can guarantee you that. And Clemson will get the benefit of the doubt, even with the crappy ACC schedule, they will get the benefit of the doubt at the end of the season just because of their body of work. And I know we've pissed and moaned about um, about this in the past and other teams getting like the Ohio States and Alabamas of the world getting this kind of favoritism because of an Oklahoma, not to mention uh, Notre Dame because of their previous um, kind of track record. But Clemson is now starting to get that, I think. Um, and I think that will you know come to fruition when it comes time for the selection committee to make the final four should Clemson run the table. I can see outside of just the season, though. I, 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 I think this is a buildup of, of larger, larger problems that have accrued over time. I think, let me be hyperbolic for a second. I think this is the last year for Tony Elliott as our offensive coordinator. It's not because, again, it's not because he hasn't done a quality job. It's just that there's guys that are hungrier and are better that, that, that will be better served in this position. I don't think you get a guy that's like as talented as you need them to be to stay in a position that's a stepping stone to the next position. Brim Venables is one of a kind. That, that, that's the way that he, like he keep brings this newfound sense of passion every season to every, every team. I, I, I just don't think that's normal. So I, I think Tony Elliott, I think like he's, he's been good. He's been adequate at times. He's been good at times. I think it's, I think it's time for him to move on after this season and, and, and go be a head coach. All that said, um, there's bigger issues that, that have been kind of that we've uncovered with the, with the offense. It's not to the standard that it should be. I don't care who they're playing in the first game and how good they were. It just, it simply, you look at the, the five-star, four-star recruits. It's just not as good as it should be. There's been letdowns in recruiting in terms of like recruiting the right guys. And that's, I guess from the offense all the way to wide receiver. So I, I don't know. I, I again, you, you could write, like, I'm not just making the argument for the fans that were uh, embittered. They, there's some validity what they're saying. I understand. I'm just saying I'm just preaching patience um, this yeah, year. It, and what you're saying is right. And even if we come out and get better and better every, it doesn't necessarily render everything that's happened uh, or it doesn't make it wrong. Right. Well, but, but you and I talked about at the beginning of the year um, how next year is really Clemson's year. Next yeah. year – is the year on the calendar that we've circled with DJ's third year in the Clemson system with the offensive line, much improved that young talent that we brought in uh, maturing, becoming better um, still have a ton of talent at the wide receiver position. We have talent at the running back position. So if we make the playoffs this year, then nobody has any reason to complain. If we miss the playoffs, certainly like there's, there's some, there's a lot of complaining that's going to be going on and there's going to be a lot of finger pointing and trying to us trying to figure out what went wrong. Um, 
but this was never going to be the year that we thought Clemson was going to be at their apex, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Next year looks really good. The question is, what can this team look like at the end of the season? Do we expect, do we think the offense can be good enough to beat playoff contenders? Again, combined with the defense that we have, they don't need to be the best offense in the world. They don't need to be a top five offense, a top 10 defense with a number or offense with a number one defense can win a national championship. And a lot of it has to do, uh, you know, with how other teams are. Is it a year in college football where there's a couple huge powerhouses that are clearly better than everybody? Or is it one of those years where it's like, I don't know, um, Alabama to be safe. And that's what it looks like right now. It certainly isn't Ohio State. Nobody's, I mean, Nobody's saying Oklahoma. You're right. It's definitely Alabama or bus. I mean, Ohio State seems to taken seems to have taken a step back. I mean, I've watched them. They they've taken a step back. Oklahoma, I have not watched them, but A and M didn't look didn't look good. Right, Georgia. They have their flaws. Yeah, Georgia looks a lot like Clemson. Let's be honest. Like they're Texas is going to lose probably four games this year, but beat Oklahoma. Yeah. So it's, it's Alabama at the, at the top and everyone else was behind them, but yeah. How, can Clemson close that gap? I sure, was, I was think, in front, but you think I was going to win. I mean, maybe Iowa wins the big 10 and takes that what, spot that out that Ohio state was going to get anyway. So, but I'm not, but, but at the same time, when I, when I have gripes with Clemson football uh, or like the, the kind of the path path of where we've, where we've been over the last three years, maybe longer, not seeing a ton of, creativity in the offense not seeing trevor in his game like adding nothing to it just everything that's the output of what clemson offense was under trevor lawrence was just due to the brilliance of trevor lawrence and travis Etienne, rather than like it, you oh, yeah. not 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 augmented in any way by the scheme or by route running you know any kind of diversity in route running or just you know any creativity i don't mean gimmicks i don't mean having your running back throwing passes um, just like all these new guys on the offense are going to learn how to work together in jail. The offensive coaches are also going to have to learn how to coach this team to lose, uh, two of the best offensive players, two of the best players period in program history after last year, it wasn't going to necessarily be e- easy this year. I know we probably thought that way because we thought DJ was just going to step in and be the next in line. And we've got all these flashy names and we've been recruiting better on the offensive line, but you know, that's an overestimation on our point, again, as fans, right? Another overreaction, probably. And the coaching staff is going to figure out how to best utilize these guys and get them working like a well-oiled machine. At the end of the year, if we're not seeing that, we certainly have, um, you know, room. There's certainly room for criticism there. I'm just saying we can't make that estimation now. But what we can do is start talking about the things that we know are going to have to improve for us to be at the level we expect Clemson to be at, at the end of the season, and that's in the playoffs. Right. I mean, there's still a longer to head this season and, and it, Tony Elliott can prove it strong. The reason I'm doubtful that he will prove it strong. And it doesn't mean by the way that we can't win a playoff game. Maybe we win a championship. Who knows? Um, it seems to me that it's going to have to rely on the greatness of DJ so I'm comfortable predicting right now that we're not going to win a championship this year. Yeah. But, you know, that kind of contradicts what I just say. We need to see how this team improves. I still feel confident that they can make the playoffs. How about you? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's a playoff team, given what I've seen you know, from the defense and then and, and elsewhere. 
like there's are there three teams better than Clemson right now? Like Georgia, Alabama, and, and I can't name a third. Yeah. So we yeah, to, we're one of the best four teams. Maybe Oregon. To, yeah, in Oregon. I, we have to remind people what a big drop off it usually is after like that third team into the playoffs. Um, and none of these other teams that are up there, you know, some of them it's their first year kind of starting to to, to sniff the top 10, Iowa is one of those teams. A&M has been around it, but what, you know, what have you really done for me, Jimbo? Uh, Cincinnati, that's cute, right? But we know that there's no way the playoff selection committee, uh, committee is going to let them in at the end of the year unless, you know, there's a lot of two-loss teams. Penn State at 10, you don't trust them. Ohio State, we've already talked about. So, and there's nobody behind them that's, that's going to come up and sneak up on Clemson, I don't think. So I really, it's really about Clemson winning out doing the job they need to do, winning the ACC championship, and then I think all the pieces will fall into place. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the the, the season will be measured uh, by how well they do because they could actually win out and not be that great and still go to the playoff. How well right. they do in a semifinal game or, a, a, you know, well, I guess, yeah, the yeah, playoff then, game. Then get embarrassed like 2017 to Alabama. In the first yeah, if, if you see that again, it's... Yeah, but what happened the year after that? National championship. 40, yeah, but like, what, 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 what about the team? Like, gives you like, if this were just a, an isolated game where just everything, I mean, and it was, I mean, there are some things that we talked about. There was like some conspiring forces from the universe, I suppose, that worked against Clemson. But no, I mean, there's some parts of the offense that have been lacking, and it's not, it's not new. It's just that there were some pretty strong things to cover them up, namely Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. But you knew deep down if Joe Burrow with this LSU offense can do what they're doing, then Clemson should be able to run, go tick for tack with them. They should be able to compete with them in a shootout, and they couldn't. And, and then just, similarly, like the same with Ohio State last year. We, it, we had to go, in, go into a shootout with them. It, the defense wasn't holding up for the first they, time ever. They played half. And we, and we couldn't, and we couldn't, uh, we couldn't stay like, hang with them in a shootout. Like they, why they played half as many games as we did. So um, take that one with a grain of salt. They're, they're better conditioned. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't get the argument, but yeah, that's how I would take it. Um, you could give Alabama half the games and then they'd win championships by 40 points. Um, but, but what I'm saying, Ben the is right of the season. I mean, I think you get what I'm saying. Like, if this were just one isolated game, no biggie. But this is like, it's it's now three years in the making, and when we go when we look back to the Deshaun era, it's like, well, how much was that just Deshaun's, you know, ma- magician like uh, qualities, acrobatic like qualities that allowed us to, to look like an elite offense? Like, it makes you wonder. He did beat South Carolina with a torn ACL. Uh, I'm just saying. I think people, what people are overlooking about the first game against Georgia is, yes, it was ugly for both offenses, but that was still big boy football. You've seen national championship games with Alabama and LSU be like 10 to 7 or something, whatever that score was, 12 to 9. Um, so it's not impossible to win like that and win a championship like that. Obviously, the game of football has changed. Offenses have changed, but those are pretty two damn dominant defenses, and they're only going to get better, and I would expect the offense to, too. Um, so looking around college football here, before we wrap it up, Cody, I'm just so excited, uh, this year, um, definitely more than last year. I was certainly excited to get college football last year for whatever bit of it we had, but the thing that's exciting coming back this year is all the, the non-conference games that we get to see. We talked about the Oregon, Ohio state game. 
Um, and, uh, you know, yet Arkansas beat Texas this weekend. Um, just a lot of fun football games to watch. And that's what I really missed during the pandemic season last year. Agreed. And then USC and Stanford, th- those were good games. Those were and, entertaining. And I you know I why I was interested in that game? Because Oregon won earlier in the day. And now I need to know what they're up against in the Pac-12. And it's great now that, mm-hmm. like, now i got a reason to watch Pac-12 football. Usually those games come on at 730 out here. And it's like, pff, it's easy for you guys on the East Coast because they come on at 1030. You're too drunk from the day to stay up to two in the morning watching crappy football. Uh, but now it might be worth watching, although that game – was well we got to see why we got to see clay helton get fired i guess that's the big takeaway there's a job opening for tony um what other games kind of piqued your interest this weekend notre dame i mean let's go notre dame toledo that one was close and then you see florida state lose to zarek cooper um in jacksonville state that was absolutely amazing so is Notre Dame uh, still ranked in the top 10? I, I that they are ranked number no, they're ranked number 12. They dropped. Oh wow, they ball. dropped with the win. Okay. Well, yeah. like there's some there's some logic in the in the rankings there. Uh, and I think that in part has to do with how bad Florida State looked too. Did you watch that game? Did you see the end? I did not. Well, I, I saw a replay of, of Zarek Cooper, like the, the crazy ending there. Did not see the game itself. Him and Chase Bright. Both look good. Chase Price almost uh, led Appalachian State to a win over Miami. So I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Again, just a lot of a lot of fun football um, to watch this past weekend. Um, Texas A&M, Colorado was close. Um, just glad to have a lot of these non-conference games back before we get into the meat um, of the conference schedule. What are you? Uh, anything you're looking forward to this weekend? I'll say that, it, like, just in terms of the the pecking order, it seems to me. You know, Alabama played Miami and they dominated them in week one. And God, that offensive line performance looked like our offensive line play in South Carolina State. Miami's not great. Miami's ranked number 24. I don't think they're going to be in the top 25 for very long. So I guess right. what, I'm, what I'm getting at is how good is Bama? And I think we're about to find out. They're playing Florida. Again, Florida is number 11 right now. They're, they're decent. They're good. I was they're going to give them more of a test than Miami. I was hanging out with a Florida fan watching the games this past weekend. And he's, yeah, he's, he's not optimistic. Optimistic about this game or their team in general, this game, but who would be, oh, yeah. be playing Alabama? Um, yeah. We're very close to not having any ACC teams ranked in the top 25 outside of Clemson. Virginia tech has made a move um, with a couple of wins. North Carolina has not looked great at all. That's been disappointing. Um, Notre Dame, quasi ACC team I'm taking uh I'm taking Purdue this weekend in South Bend based on on what I've seen from Notre Dame they've got a freshman quarterback that they like um Jack Cohn the transfer from Wisconsin um he doesn't inspire me a lot so Jeff Brom we'll see we'll see if he can pull it pull it off um Georgia South Carolina yeah. Georgia is a 32-point favorite. Now, how, how much – now, obviously, South Carolina does not expect to win this game. How much are Clemson fans going to hear from South Carolina fans if their grad student, uh, grad assistant guy out of the stands, quarterback, scores a touchdown against Georgia's defense? Like, that'll be a victory for South Carolina fans, just to be I able to say they did it, not Clemson. I suppose. I mean, I, if you're that – 
I don't know. Does anyone really get but heard about any like insults from South Carolina fans anymore? I, we don't live in South Carolina anymore. I don't know. I can't imagine like it can't be a good strategy for them to talk trash to Clemson fans. I, that must that had to end, have had to have ended five years ago. Pretty reasonable fan. Yeah, they've already won. all their teeth. They've already won about two thirds or half of the games they're going to win this year. So, right. You know, if you're if you're one of their fans, you have to look for the silver linings where you can. But it, it's it is strange. Like I know this this game is is mostly been dominated by Georgia, but South Carolina's had a few wins here and there, and now it's a thirty two point spread. Um, I, I'm we just got to keep watching Georgia and just see how good that defense is. I think it'll bear out. Like it'll it'll prove itself to be probably the top defense in the country, and it'll embarrass a lot of other teams. Clemson won't be the first or the last. Yeah, so again, it will be the first, but not the last. Reason for optimism. Look for Georgia to continue dominating on defense. Yeah, and, and see, I hate that. I hate that I have to root for Georgia the rest of the season. I hate Georgia more than I hate South Carolina. Right, but we want them back. We want them in the playoffs so we get a rematch. I think. I think I'll let you know around week six. <laughs> All right. Well, Cody, that I think wraps us up for this episode. Um, thanks everybody for joining. Um, it's been an interesting first two weeks of the season coming back during a normal year, seeing Clemson struggle on offense like we haven't seen in quite some time to kick off the season and then a ho-hum game against South Carolina State, which I'm more and more convinced at this point, these FCS games should be like a preseason warm-up game where you can still pack the stands and give them some money, but it doesn't count towards the regular season because it's just not fair and it's just not it's not competitive football um and if you could do something about making it competitive then you probably should um but that's behind us now we've only got one more two more of those games this year in UConn and South Carolina um and then the ACC which is not that much better speaking of the ACC we kick off that schedule with Georgia Tech coming up this weekend in Death Valley It'll be interesting to see, and we'll look forward to seeing how the offense is able to improve, how DJ is able to improve, and then also that defense continue to dominate. Um, so, yeah, that wraps it up for the show. We appreciate everybody for listening. Please do go on to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review comment if you'd like. Um, any negative comments will earn yourself a spot on this show, especially if you are uh, degrading towards Cody. We'll certainly get you on here. All right, you know how to reach out to us on Twitter and Facebook at Clemson Podcast. Um, and before we go, last thing I'll say is Clemson students, please pause down. Put the paw down. All right, thanks everybody for listening. As always, go Tigers. <laughs> there's, there's another podcast called Paul Clemson show behind the Paul cast. What? They, they made a podcast where they, they named it. It's the all Clemson show behind the Paul cast. They didn't, they didn't even know that. What? Where are you looking? iTunes? Yeah. 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 I was uh, checking your voice behind the Paul cast. Shout out to them. What's it called? Behind the Paul. Oh well, okay. They've done one episode and their rating is explicit. Thirty-four minutes. Oh well, they probably suck. Um, 
I mean, it took six years to be this bad, right? 